It's Palm Sunday. Did you grow up at church where you've got like palm branches on your way out, or at least the kids did, you know? I mean, uh, I mean, we'd have to have like five million palm branches, so we don't really do it here, but, but you might have grown up that way. You'd go home with the palm branches, right? My favorite Palm Sunday story is uh, the little boy who was like four, and he was sick. He had strep throat, and he wasn't able to go that day, and, he came, and his sisters and brothers came home waving these palm branches, and he was like, what, what happened? You know, tell me what happened. His mom said, oh, when Jesus passed by, the people waved their palm branches and so we brought him home and he goes wouldn't you know it the one Sunday I don't come he shows up <laughs> it, it's it's Palm Sunday and we're doing this mountain do thing because when you get to a mountain there's an obstacle there there's something that you need to do and we've talked about Elijah on Mount Carmel we talked about Moses on Mount Sinai we talked about Abraham on uh, Mount uh, Mount Moriah and today we're going to kind of wrap into the the Good Friday thing we're going to do the Palm Sunday Good Friday thing do the Mount of Olives and Golgotha, which were really two little hills that were right next to each other, okay? Uh, I want to try to give you some perspective from the hills, because the truth of the matter is, it's not easy. If you don't have the right paradigm, if you don't have the right perspective, you're going to misunderstand what's going on. Am I right? For example, there's this technology thing out there now, right? You know, I mean, we're texting and, and we're, you know, we're tweeting. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Twitter person now. You can follow me. You can stalk me on Twitter if you want to. Uh, I'm, I'm finally giving in. You know, I'm 50. I'm almost 50, and I decided to tweet now. I don't know why, but they told me I've got to tweet, so I'm tweeting irrelevant facts to you so that you can understand everything that's going on in my life. And we're texting each other, and, and now we're getting this code so that we can actually text each other with code. But the problem is the Older people are learning how to text. My, my, my parents are here today because they came from my daughter's uh, uh, musical last night at Lincoln Way East, which is really awesome. Yeah, I don't know why they're clapping, but whatever. And my, my mom still can't text me back, but at least she can read my texts on her phone now, you know? And, and the code that you've got to understand if you're an older person is different. So if my mom is texting my daughter, they need to understand the code and it's different. For example, BTW for an older person is bring the wheelchair. It's different, okay? <laughs> and, and BYOT is bring your own teeth. It's just different. And a DWI for an older person is driving while incontinent. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care what you say. FWB is not what you think. It's friends with bifocals, okay? It's different. FWIW, forgot where I was. <laughs> IMHO is not, in my humble opinion. It's, is my hearing aid on? <laughs> no, it's not, Dad. LMDO. Laughing my dentures off. Come on, that's good, you know? LOL is not laughing out loud, it's living on Lipitor. That's what I do. Oh, this is good. OMSG. Oh my. Sorry, gas. <laughs> ROFL followed by CGU is rolling on the floor laughing and I can't get up. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Your perspective is really important, right? And so as we, as we come into this weekend before Easter, it's really important that you get the right perspective of these mountains that we're going to talk about. If you live in Illinois and you go to Wisconsin, you think those are mountains, right? If you've never seen anything else. And then all of a sudden, if you drive to Colorado or Utah and you see the Rockies, all of a sudden, your perspective has changed. And that's what I, I want to do. And when we get to the mountain, there's an obstacle in our way. There's something that we've got to do. There's something that, that needs obedience when we come to all these mountains. That's why we're calling it Mountain D-O instead of D-E-W. And Jesus today is going to take us to a very small hill from a geographical standpoint. But it is hugely significant. It is the most significant hill in the world. 
And it's because on that hill, Jesus died on the cross, which is the most pivotal moment in history. Max Lucado writes it this way. The cross rests on the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity tracks all cynics. Its hope lures all searchers. I hope that's what you are today. History has idolized and despised it, gold-plated and burned it, worn and trashed it. History has done everything but ignore it. How could you ignore such a piece of lumber? Suspended on its beams is the greatest claim in history. A crucified carpenter claiming to be God on earth, divine, eternal, a death slayer. Never has timber been regarded so sacred. No wonder the Apostle Paul called the cross the core event of the, of the gospel. Its bottom line is sobering. If the account is true, it's history's hinge. Period. If not, then it's history's hoax. Which is the cross for you, Max asks us. Is it a hinge or is it a hoax? Or in the words of Jesus, who do you say that I am? I want to lead us today... <clears throat> I, and I want to ask you to do something. You ever have your DVR stop before the show's over? Doesn't that drive you nuts? <clears throat> you know, you get right to the end of American Idol and you find out who gets kicked off. Or, or if it was yesterday's Bulls game and, you know, you missed the last two's I mean, that's horrible, right? So then you've got to go on the Internet and figure out what happened. I want you to do that today. <clears throat> I want you to purposefully set your Holy Week DVR to stop on Friday. I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples. And I want you to think about what it was like for them. Because understand that the disciples, when, when Jesus said, it is finished from the cross, what, what did they interpret? How, how was that for them? They thought, oh, yeah, I guess it is. He's dead. Fat lady's singing. It's done. We better go find out if we can still get our jobs back. It's all over, right? They saw it as a cry of defeat, not a cry of victory. They didn't know that anything else was going to happen. The disciples didn't lay out their Easter clothes on Saturday night, okay? They had no idea this was going to happen. And somehow, I think uh, the preeminence of the cross might have struck them a little differently than it strikes us. Because we know we're going to come back next weekend, and He's alive, and we know that there's, there's life after death because of what Jesus did. But I want you to just hold on to this fact for a moment. I want you just to hold on to the cross. I want you to grab a hold of what Jesus did on the cross, because it in itself is the most important event in history. So since this is Palm Sunday, we're going to be in Matthew 20, 21, if you've got your Bibles. I've got a home video that I took when I was in the Holy Land last November for the first time. <clears throat> I start on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is like here, and Jerusalem's here, okay? So it, 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 there's just this little valley. I mean, they're just these twin little peaks. It's, not, it, it's no big deal. I mean, there's, there's maybe three, 400 yards in between these two. They're very small hills. Starts on the Mount of Olives. He comes into Jerusalem at Palm Sunday, and uh, we got to be there. I want to show you the video. This is my first day in Jerusalem. I don't know what time it is back home, but over here, it's, uh, it's in the morning. We're just getting started, and this is our first shot at Jerusalem, which is really awesome because, I mean, to, to see what, where we're coming in right now is where you would be coming, where Jesus came in. Uh, that Palm Sunday day when he came in and he was weeping over Jerusalem and he, and he saw what was going on. But um, we're getting ready to walk that walk right now. It's pretty incredible. These are olive trees behind me that probably have roots that go back to the days of Jesus, maybe the days of David. I mean, there's so much history wrapped up into this. They're going to do the serpentine and walk back and forth so they make sure they actually walk the steps of Jesus. That's my wife. <laughs> Can't take her anywhere. 
It, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, you know, I was much more reverent than she was, of course, but it was an incredible experience to be, to be right there and to be walking down. Let me take you back to Matthew 21, actually. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them, and, they sat, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It was symbolic. Jesus is driving it. He's riding in on a donkey. And that sounds lowly to us, but it was a kingly kind of a thing. It was a prophetic kind of a thing. Luke records it this way. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is why the Jewish leaders were upset, because they knew that the Rome would see all this commotion and know what was going on. And they didn't want this to happen. They did not like Jesus riding in this way and causing all this attention. But don't worry about it, because five days later, they're gonna, the crowd's going to completely turn on him. So much happens in Holy Week. I, I mean, the crowd is happy because they think they have their superhero coming in, riding in on this donkey, and he's going to overthrow Rome. And by Friday, they're ready to kill him, and they do kill him because they think he's a fake. He's not the one that they wanted. And, and in this week, in between those five days, Jesus clears out the temple he, he does all kinds of teaching. There's so much important teaching that goes on during Holy Week. He, uh, he has a lot of confrontations with the religious leaders because he's there. He gets betrayed not only by Judas, but by Peter. All the disciples leave. And, uh, and finally, he's left alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I want to skip all the way up through that from Palm Sunday to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's back over at the Mount of Olives. Okay, He's gone into Jerusalem. Now he's back over at the Mount of Olives. And uh, here's a picture that I took of what they have preserved as the Garden of Gethsemane. Which is really interesting because it probably was. This is probably where he was. I mean, there weren't a lot of other alternate locations. And the church did preserve a lot of good stuff. So these olive trees that you see, fascinating part about olive trees is that olive tree roots never die. The, the tree never dies. It, the roots always continue to grow. They just continue to send up new sprouts, new shoots. So these trees weren't there when Jesus was there. But the roots of these trees were probably there going back to Jesus, maybe even going back to David, fascinating part of olive trees. And Jesus is in the garden and the disciples are tired and they're falling asleep. And the garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night after the supper, this is where Jesus is really trying to decide if he's going to go through with the cross or not. And uh, let me take you back via Mel and, and Jim to see this scene. I want to show you just one of the scenes that they did in a passion movie uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me explain it for you. What was that all about? Well, I just wanted to, I, I love it when the m drums start and the music builds up and Jesus gets up because I, I, that was the moment when Jesus said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to go through the worst possible form of death anybody can because I love these people. That was his moment. The snake reference is Mel doing his homework. The snake reference, it's not, in, it's not in the New Testament passage that there was a snake there, but there was a prophecy going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning, after Satan, who was the snake, remember when he comes to Adam and Eve, after Satan has deceived Adam and Eve and gotten them to sin, and now we have all this death and destruction and, and hatred and all this bad stuff in the world. After this happens, there is a prophecy that is given about what happens to man, what happens to woman, and there's a prophecy about Jesus, and it says in the prophecy that the snake would would bruise his heel and that he would crush its head 
Symbolically meaning what? Symbolically meaning that someday, that was back in Genesis 3, that someday when Jesus came, his heel would be bruised by Satan. How would that happen? Well, he was on the cross. He was, had both feet nailed together and his heels were definitely bruised on the cross. The cross had to happen. But because of the power of the cross, he crushed Satan and the power of sin is all over. This is all going on in the garden while Jesus is deciding what's going to happen. But he gets up and he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to the cross. And while he was still speaking, verse 47, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders. And the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, amazingly, still friend. Even though he knew what he was doing, that's how Jesus loves. Friend, do what you came for. And the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And Judas wasn't alone in his betrayal. It was our betrayal, too. Verse 57, And those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. And thus begins the religious portion of the trial of Jesus. We skip down to verse 63, but they asked Jesus who he was, and Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And finally Jesus said, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man coming, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In the future you will see me as the King that you thought I was going to be back on Sunday when you were going, yay, for the King. In the future you're going to see me coming. I am going to come that, that way someday, but right now I've got another job to do. And the beautiful thing is we know when that day is now, right? It's May 21st. Have you been reading this? You know, on the Christian radio station, there's, there's this guy that, that says it's May 21st, 2011. That's the date. That has made things so much easier for me. We quit planning the wedding. I mean, because that's like before the wedding. And, and we don't have to... Well, of course, that's idiotic. We know that that's not really true. Here's the deal. I personally guarantee you that Jesus will not come back on May 21st. Personally guarantee. If Jesus comes back on May 21st, I will give each one of you one billion dollars. Because Jesus said, no one can know the day, no one can know the time I'm coming like a thief. And Jesus would say to that girl, I really hope those are stickers on your car because it's going to be embarrassing on May 22nd when you go get a paint job, okay? But Jesus is going to come back and the next time he comes back, he's going to come back as the king. He's going to come back reigning as the king of kings and lord of lords. This time he came for a very, very different reason. The high priest tore his clothes and said, he's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death. Anybody asks you the most absurd thing that a human being has ever said, it's right there in Matthew 26, verse 65. He is worthy of death. That's the most untrue thing that has ever been said. He's not worthy of death. We're worthy of death. It was us that was worthy of death. So they took the perfect sinless son of God and pronounced him guilty. But they had a problem because they didn't have, they didn't have the, the legal right to kill him. So they had to take him to Pilate. And I feel sorry for Pilate sometimes because he was really stuck in a really tough place. 
Pilate continually found no basis for a reason to charge Jesus, and even on multiple occasions tries to release Jesus. And he says, hey, I I will give you one prisoner that can go free because it's your feast time. How about you take Jesus and just set him free, get him out of here? And the people said, no, we want Barabbas. We want the notorious criminal, the gangster guy, the murderer, the, the worst guy in prison on death row. We want you to release him to us instead of Jesus. And Pilate says, well, what, then what do I do with Jesus? And they answered, crucify him. Pilate said, he's still arguing with him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere but an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The irony between the, 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 these two little peaks, these two little hills, Mount of Olives and the mountain that Jerusalem's on, Golgotha, there's this place right here. The irony between those two is those people who were shouting on Sunday, hey, he's our superhero, were shouting, kill him, five days later. Verse 27, the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him to make fun of him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. I brought mine. This is from uh, this is from Jerusalem. I wanted you to see it because you know I think a lot of times when you you know your perspective again is you know a, a, a rose bush, right? That's the, the, most of the thorns that we know. No, these are the thorns that they have in Jerusalem. These are the thorns that come in the area of Israel. That would have been what Jesus had on him, and that was just part of it. They set that on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. Then they spit on him, and they took the staff, and they struck him again and again. And they took him to be scourged. They took him to, to be beaten by the flagellum, which was a, a whip. If you saw the movie, if you saw The Passion of the Christ, you know that that was the scene that once you bought it on DVD, you started skipping forward if you watched the movie again. Because it's so brutal. Because it was a, it was a whip with nine pieces of leather that came out of it. And attached to each end of one of those nine pieces was a piece of metal or a piece of bone or something that was sharp. So that every time there was a lash, it was really nine lashes. And Jesus got that 39 times. And over and over again, they beat him. And he was bloody. And that was why that whole thing was R-rated. It was R-rated for a reason. Because it was R-rated what they did to Jesus. And then we get to Golgotha. After they had mocked him, they took the robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And they were going out. They met a man from Cyrene named Simon. Forced him to carry the cross because Jesus is too weak by this point. You need to understand that half the people that got beaten, that got scourged the way that Jesus did, died. Okay? And Jesus is, is, is falling down. There's no way he can carry either a cross beam for a cross or the entire cross. There's no way. And they came to the place <clears throat> called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, which would have made it a sedative. And after tasting it, he refused to drink it because he didn't want to go numbly into. He didn't want to be. He didn't want to be put out. He didn't want. He he, he wanted to experience everything that he needed to experience as one of us. 
And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes, casting lots, and they led him away to crucify him. So by this point, Jesus has been awake for at least 30 plus hours. Okay, He's had an emotional goodbye dinner and washed the feet of his disciples and knowing somebody's going to betray him. He's been betrayed. He's had all that, not only by, by Judas, but he's been betrayed by Peter and all his disciples have run away. He's done the garden thing where he sweat drops of blood. He's gone through all that. They arrested him. They beat him. They took him in. They tied him to a post and hit him 39 times with the flagellum and tore the flesh off of him. They made him carry the cross as far as he could till he could get to this point where he could be crucified. Crucifixion, Cicero, the Roman senator said, was the cruelest and most hideous form of punishment possible. Do you know that no Roman citizen ever was killed by crucifixion? If you are a Roman citizen, you are automatically protected against it because it was the worst way to die. They only, they only killed their people that they wanted to make an example out of. So they would strip their clothes, they would beat them silly, they would make them go carry the cross all the way through the middle of the streets of Jerusalem. We walked to Via Dolorosa. It was unbelievable to think of all the people watching as this is going on. And then they put him up on this hill and plopped him down on a cross. Isaiah, hundreds of years, this is one of the reasons I know the Bible is true, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth, Isaiah said it this way, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we thought, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. That's what the people thought. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are all like sheep. We have all gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Finally, they lead him to Golgotha. We don't know exactly where Golgotha is. Uh, if you go visit the Holy Land, um, there is a beautiful church that's built called the Whole Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Here's a picture of it. Um, you go in there, it's really kind of disappointing. I've got to be honest with you. This is where the church this is, where Constantine built this church in the 4th century. So it was pretty early on, and it, this may actually be the place where it was. And they built this giant church and this giant shrine over it, and you wait in line with all these people, and then you get up to this point where you can kneel down underneath this thing, and you can stick your hand in, through some glass that they've got preserving the, the rock that's there. And you can reach in and you can actually touch the rock. But it's so ornate and it's so overblown and there's just no way in your mind to try to process it. We don't really know for sure where the place was at Golgotha. We don't know where it was. We know it was outside the city. We know it was by a road. We know there was a garden nearby. It was called the place of the skull. Why? Because there were skulls there from the execution. Or some commentators say, because maybe it looked like a skull. So when you go visit, you can also go to this place, which is the alternate site for Golgotha. And I'll just be honest, it doesn't matter where it was, but this is what was really meaningful to us. To go to this place where there's a garden tomb and it's all preserved like it would have been. And we don't know where it was, but this is where it was so emotional for us. We had communion here at this place. My wife, who's going to be on video later reading a scripture, I mean, she was weeping from the moment we walked in that place until we walked out. It was so touching to be in this place and think that this might have been the place. But again, it doesn't matter. It's not the, it's not the where, it's the what. Jesus went to Golgotha. He climbed this little hill for me take my place to take the punishment by his wounds we were healed peter said he bore our sins 
in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness because by his wounds we have been healed. The thing I want you to get this weekend before we come back to celebrate the rest of the story is the value of the cross. I read this week about some thieves that, uh, that, that stole a big bronze cross from in front of a Catholic cemetery in Little Rock, Arkansas recently. The cross had been commissioned uh, to an artist. They, they, they valued the cross in 1930 when it was erected at $10,000. These thieves came in with a pickup truck and a, some kind of a saw and cut off the bronze statue of the bronze cross and put it in their pickup truck and drove away and they never caught them. And all that police can possibly imagine that those thieves did was to cut it up and sell it for scrap. For which a cross that probably by this time was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, they, they, they estimated they would have got $500 or $1,000 for the scrap of bronze. And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? That's kind of what happens to a lot of people this time of year. You know? We just don't understand the value of the cross. So many people miss it. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're watching this because you need to get the importance of the cross. So many of us are like, need a break. So many of us are like these cops that are uh, coming to a bank robbery. that was fake but you know what that's what happens this time of year we get to this it's holy week you know and a lot of people are like you know not eating fish on fridays and they're doing all these things and they're trying to go through these motions but you're missing the value the importance of the cross so much of our society views jesus as this really great teacher right this historical figure and if everybody would just start following jesus commands and jesus teaching the whole world would be a better place and all we need is love and all that stuff and that's really really true but the truth of the matter is when we add the cross to it that that makes it a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? When you add the cross, you're like, how does that all work in? And if Jesus had to die, this is the question I've been asking myself this week. If Jesus had to die on the, if he had to die some way to sacrifice for our sins, then why couldn't he have come today to a state that approves lethal injection and just laid down and taken a shot and died and then three days later awoke again. Why is it that, that Jesus had to go through all of this? Why is this so inhumane? Why all of this blood? And why did he sign up for it? Because the Bible tells us that the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Jesus knew before he created us that he was going to have to do this. I've been pondering that this week. Why was it so bad? Why was the cross... So R-rated. And the only answer I can come up with is that God needed to show us how R-rated our sin is. Because the truth of the matter is, my sin is R-rated. And so is yours. It might be worse. What we tend to do is we tend to, you know, compare ourselves. Well, at least I'm not all high on Charlie Sheen, you know. At least I'm not Howard Stern. At least I'm not Hitler, Right? 
I've done some good things in my life, and we're going to talk about that next weekend. I've done a lot of good things in my life. Shouldn't that make up for the bad things? I don't know. You want to go home and get a yellow piece of paper and start writing good things and bad things down for me? Because I think you'd really realize that once it comes all down to it, you're going to figure out that your sin is R-rated, because I already have. You're going to figure out how far short of the glory of God you really do fall. I have a friend named Dan Beaver. He's a, he's a trick golfer. He just, I mean, he's got a great job. He travels around all these places and does golf shows for outings. And he's phenomenal. I mean, he can do all kinds of crazy things with golf balls you just wouldn't believe. And he's become a friend of mine. He lives down by my in-laws down in southern Missouri. So whenever I go down there, I call him up and try to play golf with him. He's fun to play with. Well, the other part of the story of Dan Beaver I didn't tell you is that he is the reigning seniors long drive champion. He has a registered drive in competition of 435 yards. Now, if you're not a golfer, just know that's like twice as much as most of us, okay? It's a really, it's a lot longer than Tiger, okay? It's a long, long way. And it's fun to play golf with him and watch the ball just go bye-bye, you know? And I was playing with him one, one day, a couple of years ago, and I, at that time, I'll just admit this to you, I was playing with an illegally large driver, okay? Um, you know, it wouldn't have gotten me on the tour. They would have kicked me off. It was illegally large. And I happened to be hitting the ball pretty well this one day. And Dan wasn't necessarily playing that great. And we get to this hole, and, and I look down the fairway, and there's a ball right there, and there's a ball right there. And I thought that was me. And I thought, you know what? I think I got this. And I started puffing out a little bit, you know, and... Trash talking him. Oh, preacher can drive as long as the long drive guy. And I started, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And about that time, my father-in-law, who was in another cart, came driving up to that ball. It was his second shot. <laughs> we had to turn around and go way, way back over here to find my drive. That's really what the cross, that's the purpose of the cross. It's to, to help us to understand how far back, that's why it's bloody, that's why it's R-rated, because we have to understand we're way, way back here. Well, there's no way that we could possibly deserve to go to heaven. There's no way that we could possibly understand how much it cost to pay for our sin. That's why it was R-rated. That's why there was so much blood. One Italian author, when Mel Gibson's movie came out, said, he was going to not let his kids see the film because I want them to have the idea of the spirituality of Christ, not the debauchery. The soul of Jesus is important, he said, not his body. The author said, I plan to see the movie myself. However, I think sometimes I will shut my eyes to preserve myself from all this blood. That's the contemporary view of it, you know. But the truth is there can't be any death without pain. There can't be any sacrifice without blood. You can't sanitize the sacrifice. It just doesn't work. Max Lucado wrote it this way. The cross where God forgave his children without lowering his standard. The cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standard. Sin had to be paid for. The Apostle Paul said that's why the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's everything. It is the power of God. Because, you see, if Jesus was just a good example, then we're all still in Big trouble. But Jesus died for me. He took my punishment. He paid the price. I don't fully understand why Jesus would voluntarily come and die on the cross. I also don't fully understand why God would let him. As we talked about Abraham and Isaac last weekend, as I think about it as a father, you know, I don't know who paid the bigger price. Was it Jesus? Was it God? I, I don't know. 
I mean, Jesus, no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends. But John says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. My friend Dan Meyer from Christ Church at Oakbrook said it really well. He said, Jesus threw himself in front of evil's bullet so that we wouldn't be destroyed by it. He pushed us out of the path of the judgment that was thundering down upon us because of our sin. The single innocent being in the universe said to the divine court, Your honor, I'll be executed in their place. Let them go. If you miss this little mountain, this little hill of Golgotha, you're going to miss the most important event of all time. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. It doesn't say that he died. It doesn't say that he passed away. It says that he gave up his spirit. Why? Because he chose to die. Okay? He could have kept his heart beating. He created hearts. He could have called 10,000 angels. He was in charge of all the angels. He could have obliterated the cross and the nails because in Jesus all things hold together. But Jesus decided to go through it all and lay down his life for us. John 10, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. I have the right to lay it down when I want to and the power to take it up again. My father has given me this. They didn't murder Jesus. He laid down his life. And Peter in his first sermon said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God willingly gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus willingly went to the cross so that by his wounds we would be free, so that we could be reconciled. And in Corinthians, Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died on the cross because that's what it took. That was the only way. So what's your mountain do today? Come to the mountain, you need to obey. What what do you need to obey? Well, I keep going back to Elijah in our first sermon where he stood there before all the people of Israel and he challenged them and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? I mean, I think it's really important this week as we think about Holy Week, as we think about Palm Sunday, Good Friday, all the events of this week, as we think about it, this is the week that you ought to really get this straight. This is the week that you ought to figure it out. And hey, I know Jesus is not coming on May 21st, but he might be coming on May 22nd. He might be coming this afternoon. The time is drawing short and we need to make a decision. We need to stop wavering between two opinions and we need to decide where we're going to go. Are you going to accept what Jesus did for you or are you going to try to do it yourself? You think you can handle it yourself? Great. But if you're starting to realize maybe your sin is R-rated, then... Today be a good day to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry my sin was R-rated. I'm sorry that I put you on that cross, but I accept your forgiveness and your grace. We're going to end the service in a special way. We're going to um, have a little song first just to kind of be thinking about a great, a great song to just kind of wonder about what Jesus did for us. And then I'm going to have a video of Denise reading from the place of the skull, some of the passion narrative. And then uh, we're going to worship and then we're going to take communion. And um, after communion, I'd ask you just to stay put for just a few more minutes as we've got a kind of a special element video that we're going to play. And then I want to ask you just to leave quietly and reverently. Um, we're not going to I'm not going to meet and greet. We're not going to be doing anything. I'm not even going to have a closing benediction. I just want you to leave 
with the DVR shut down a little early. I want you to leave with the power of the cross and what Jesus did for you on the cross in your mind. All right? One last thing. I want to go back to something that I talked about briefly earlier. I want you to put yourself in the place, because the place that, the only place that I fit in the, in the, in the passion narrative is to be Barabbas. Because that's where I would be. If you took spiritually all the stuff that I've done wrong and all the, all the things that I've done against the Almighty Judge, I should be in prison where Barabbas was. Imagine that you are Barabbas, okay? He was, again, this notorious gangster criminal. He was a murderer, and he's back in a cell. And all of a sudden, Barabbas hears all these soldiers running, and he hears all this commotion, and he hears people chanting and people yelling outside, and he doesn't know what's going on because he's back here in his cell. The only thing that Barabbas would be able to hear would be when the crowd chanted in unison, which just happens to only be two times in this narrative. I mean, I'm making all this up, but I can imagine that this is exactly what happened back in Barabbas' cell. He hears commotion, and all of a sudden, Pilate gets to the point, and he says, well, hey, I'm going to release somebody at, the, at this feast time anyway. Who do you want me to release to you? And the crowd chants in unison, Barabbas, Barabbas. So all of a sudden he's back in his cell, right? He's like, oh, that's me. It's the first thing he hears. And then there's more mumbling and there's more shouting, but he can't really make out what's going on. And, and Pilate finally gets to the point where he says, well, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd shouts in unison, Crucify him. Crucify him. Barabbas' perspective. Barabbas. Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. Barabbas thinks, I'm dead. I'm a goner. I don't know what they're all mad about out there, but for some reason, they want me dead. Put yourself emotionally in the place of Barabbas for just a second. As the soldier comes clanking down the walkway, he hears the keys clank, go in the lock, turn the lock open, and pull open to take Barabbas to what he knows is the worst possible death that anyone could imagine. And instead, the soldier says, you're never going to believe this, but you're free to go. Just let that sink in, will you? You're never going to believe this. But you're free to go. The fascinating thing about Barabbas to me is that Barabbas is smarter than a lot of people today. Because you know what Barabbas did? He said, okay. And he walked out. What Barabbas didn't do is go, oh, you know what, I haven't been that bad, and I'm, I'm, I'm in here on some trumped-up charges, and I think I'm just going to deal with my own punishment. I'm going to deal with my own stuff. I'm just going to wait until I get my chance to go before the judge, and I think he's going to hear my case, and my good is going to outweigh my bad, and I'm going to get off anyway. He didn't do that. Why, why would anybody do that? Why would you do that? If Jesus paid the price for your sin then why wouldn't you walk out of the prison door? We're going to worship. We're going to spend a moment. And I want to encourage you during the next few minutes just to walk out.
you remember a lyric from the song we sang before I preached? Probably sums up the whole thing. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus gave us this uh, sacrifice, this communion time, so that we could remember what He did for us on the cross, and we're going to celebrate it. It's going to be two trays that are going to come by, bread in the bottom cup and juice in the top cup. Just take both cups out as the trays come by and, and just hold it for a moment. And we're going to commune together in unison. You don't have to be a part of Parkview. If you are a believer, please take the emblems and let's pray. Lord, be with us as we commune right now. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Help us not to miss it. Help us not to miss the most important hill in history, the hill that you went to die for my sins on. Thank you that we can walk out free. If there are people in this room that need to do that right now, just let them open up their hearts to you. You're knocking on the door of their heart. You said if they would open it, you would come in and you would have dinner with them and and you would be their Savior. And we would walk eternally free, not not just free after we die, but free right now. We can walk and live in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. If there are people that need to do this, let them open up and say, Jesus, I need you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to be inside. I'm sorry my sin led you to the cross. But I come to the foot of the cross right now. And I give myself. I bow my knee. Our sin left a crimson stain, but you washed it white as snow. In Jesus' name.